This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that nothing is hidden from your sight. I pray, pour out your spirit and speak to us through your word this morning that we might meet you and be strengthened by you to face our temptations. In Jesus' name, amen. It's the first Sunday of Lent, and I know someone who is giving up sugar, giving up sugar for Lent. So no candy, chocolates, soda, and on Wednesday morning, a matter of hours into Lent, they were driving home and they pulled up outside their house and there, nestled amongst the leaves in the gutter, was an abandoned bottle of Coke, two-thirds full. Oh, that looks good, they thought. Um, you could almost taste that sweet, sugary hit. And if been lying out overnight in a, you know, Pittsburgh February, so it was nicely chilled. They didn't. They didn't succumb to that temptation. But let me tell you another story. I read in a book this week about a man with a porn addiction before the internet. So he had a stash of magazines. And one day his wife was away. And he struggled. We thought, no, I'm getting this stuff out of my life. He went down to the dumpster um, beneath their apartment complex, threw it in, walked away. Later that day, his wife still away, he returns to the dumpster, climbs in, slips, breaks his arm, and is trapped, alone, in silence, in the dumpster. And that's where his wife finds him, bleating for help. Two stories of temptation, one Temptation resisted, one, not so much. And many of you may be connecting this with our two scripture readings from Genesis and Matthew's Gospel chapter 4. Two temptations of Eve and of Jesus. One succeeds, one, not so much. So this morning we're thinking about temptation. And temptation in Lent. Now Lent, our word Lent comes from the old English word Lenten. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but it, we know lengthen because the days are lengthening. There's more light. It felt brighter this morning. But it's not only the days that can lengthen, our souls can lengthen. As the days are stretching towards springtime, we can experience a springtime of the soul. I'm going to borrow some of Kevin's language from his Ash Wednesday sermon which in turn was from Thomas Merton. Lent can be a time of healing. So I'm going to quote a bit of his sermon, so you're going to have that amazing phenomenon of Kevin's content with my accent. <laughs> I quote, I think many of us approach Lent as if it is a time of punishment for our sin, but that's not right. As Thomas Merton says, Lent is not a season of punishment, it is a season for healing. The spiritual practices we are invited into during Lent are not punishments for our sin, they're designed to create 
grace-filled space in which we can encounter God, where he can heal our hearts and minds and bodies. Lent, a springtime of the soul, a time for healing. So, how will thinking about our two temptation passages help heal us this Lent? What can we do to create a grace-filled space to encounter God? How do we prepare for temptations? So I'm going to start by listing a few temptations. And I'm curious, listen and think, what resonates? And this is language taken from our Ash Wednesday service. Temptations like self-indulgent appetites, the pursuit of worldly goods and comforts, pride, vanity, hypocrisy, self-pity, impatience, envying those we think more fortunate than ourselves, bitterness and resentment, or the temptation to seek the praise of others rather than the approval of God. Which jumped out to you? When might it strike next? And how do we prepare? As we better understand our condition, our brokenness, we're more willing to listen to Jesus, the great physician. So we turn to our two scenes of temptation. Here's the first one. Starting at the beginning with Eve and her moment of temptation in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. This is at top of page 8 in your bulletins. I'm jumping in, chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? It's just a question. And there should have been a simple answer, no. He didn't say that. He said, we can eat all of them, save that one. But the crafty serpent's phrasing suggests something new to Eve's imagination. A God who says, you shall not eat from any tree. A creator who withholds. A world of lack in which if you need something, you're just going to have to get it yourself. The serpent's question smuggles in the possibility that maybe God isn't good. Which isn't what we saw back in chapter 2, verse 16. God says, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. How does Eve respond? Her answer reveals a fatal lack of listening. A lack of listening. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. Wait, nor shall you touch it? God never said that. Nowhere is it written that you shall not touch the fruit. And she forgets the significance of the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She just remembers it's like over there in the middle. So the serpent goes in for the kill saying, 
you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent's first question implies God isn't good. His second suggestion is he's keeping the best from you. Who does Eve listen to? Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit. Ha! I can't touch it. I'm fine. God was wrong. The serpent was right. She took of its fruit and hum, ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Wait, what? The husband was there? Adam was there? The entire time? And he said nothing? Did he have his headphones in? Was he like watching, stream, streaming something on his tablet? And I'm like drawn into the blame game here. Was it her fault? Was it his fault? Was it her fault for not listening well earlier, thinking that God had forbidden them to touch the fruit? For not asking for help in the face of temptation? Or was it his fault? For not communicating sufficiently. God had told him about the tree and he had told Eve, but maybe not very carefully, was it his fault for abdicating responsibility, for withdrawing, for not being fully present? Lots of unanswered questions, but the outcome is clear. Temptation and a failure to listen, to hear the truth, leading to a rejection of what God has said, leading to shame, hiding, and being rejected from the garden and from God's presence. And as sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, this is where we find ourselves. And we struggle to listen. And we struggle to hear the truth. Do you feel distant from God? Are you hiding? Are you hiding from others? Are you hiding from yourself behind noise and busyness and distractions and screens? Who really knows you? How might Lent be a time of healing, a springtime for your soul? So let's turn to the second scene of temptation where our ancestors failed, our savior succeeds. What can we learn? And this scene is not in a garden, it's in the wilderness following Jesus' baptism. And there's the river and the Holy Spirit resting on him and God's voice, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, my beloved. What happens next? Top of page 10 on your bulletin. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. Pause. So, 40 days of fasting. Our stomachs pinch, just to think about it. But there's another deprivation, less obvious to us modern urbanites. In the wilderness, it is quiet. What do you hear in silence? Imagine a day without the noise of traffic, podcasts, music, 
talk radio, conversation. Imagine four days, 40 days. What might you hear? And into Jesus' silent wilderness, above the sound of the wind that swept through empty scenes and around his empty stomach, came this voice. Verse 3, the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. He could turn water into wine. He could turn stone into bread. And he was famished. But you know, the first rule in resisting temptation is not to do what the tempter is saying. And in that moment, it's helpful to be clear on what God says. So without missing a beat, Jesus flips in his memorized Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Jesus answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I don't need bread. I'm listening to my dad. This is where life is. Jesus' heart has God's words planted in it. The eternal springtime of the listening heart he has listened well. He knows the verses. He knows the stories that give meaning to those verses. One does not live by bread alone is a quote from Moses, who's reminding the Israelites that God had fed them with manna, with bread from heaven in the wilderness. For when the Israelites were hungry, angry, maybe lonely and tired, God shows that he sees them and cares for them by providing this miraculous bread from heaven. And Jesus trusts his heavenly Father's provision and timing. He trusts and is right to do so. In a few verses, angels wait upon him, some heavenly feast. He, res he trusts his heavenly Father's provision and timing and resists instant gratification. He doesn't turn stones into bread. Which raises a question for us. When do we choose the quick fix over God's timing? Lent, the springtime of the soul. Healing begins when we identify what is hurting. And do we hurt ourselves by choosing the quick fix? Often. How about instead we choose silence? and ask God what we really need, who we really need, Him. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In the silence of the wilderness, Jesus has been listening to the voice of God for 40 days. That's bad news for Satan. How can we listen? How can we be prepared for temptation? We need silence to hear his voice. We need silence to hear his voice. We need a plan for silence and a plan for scripture. And that's what I'm going to suggest to you. And I'm going to repurpose these props. I love repurposing. Uh, stony silence. A plan for silence. Daily bread. A plan 
for Scripture. Let's do a plan for Scripture. Lent has started. We don't have 40 days left, but I worked out that there are 34 days from Monday tomorrow until Monday Thursday, if you don't count Sundays. And my plan in those 34 days is to read one chapter of Matthew's Gospel, 28 chapters, and then one chapter of Ephesians, six chapters. And each chapter I'm going to pray, Lord, what is the one word or phrase that I need to hold on to today when I am in silence? And I'm going to try and memorize it, plant it in my heart, a scripture plan, and then a silence plan. Now, in our daily prayers and lectionary, Lent through Eastertide guide, there are suggested fast each week. And the one suggested for tomorrow, for this week, goes as follows. Forget or forgo, forego the typical media inputs. Turn off the TV, Netflix, and other video streaming altogether. Drive without the radio. Leave your headphones at home. Increase the silence in your life. Imagine tomorrow. How might you start the day in silence? How might you travel in silence, walk in silence, relax in silence? How do you feel about that? For some, heavenly. For others, the baby's still crying. For many of us, silence is terrifying. We prefer to hide behind noise and distractions and busyness. And it's in the silence we realize we need the voice of God. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need to listen to Jesus, who succeeds where we fail. He stands where we fall, so he can help us back up. From Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. In silence, ask God to show you more clearly your temptations and see more clearly your need for him. May we not end up like that guy in the dumpster, but I think, from God's perspective, we're all in the dumpster. And the good news, he comes to take us out and bring us back to himself. Be honest with him. Let him find you now. And I think that's enough for today. I mean, I would love to discuss the second and third temptations, but Jesus lives how James chapter 4, 7 encourages us to live. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil, draw near to God. Draw near to God. Resist the devil. We don't face temptations alone. We can always ask for help. And I'm thankful the one who triumphed in the wilderness triumphed on the cross. To quote Hebrews again, he too shared in their humanity that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. The devil's power is broken. He can distract us. So let's focus on the one who sees us. He can lie to us. So let's listen.
to the one who is the truth. You've listened to me long enough. Let's have a moment of silence in which we can think through and pray through our plan for scripture and our plan for silence this week. And then I'll pray to close. Lord, we thank you that you are more keen to speak than we are to listen. Forgive us for how we hide from you. Ask, help us this week to protect times of silence. Help us to read and listen and pray. Pray for your word to be planted deeply in our hearts that this Lent might show a real springtime for our souls. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.